And when you look at all the research, we actually need way more meaningful relationships in our life on a daily basis. And, um, and work is the closest thing we have to what school was like when we were kids. And so when I was looking and saying, if we don't have time for friendship, let's focus on friendships where we're already spending the most time. And the good news is friendships are good for the workplace too. So I just really started honing in and just saying, let's make a case for not just having friendship only in the personal life bucket. Let's put it in the work life bucket. And, uh, and let's talk about how to do it better and how to do it in a healthy way that benefits us and benefits our organizations and all that good stuff. This is your Kick-Ass Live podcast, episode number 349 with guest Shasta Nelson. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, Ask Kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad that you are here. Shasta Nelson is back. She's been on the show a couple of times, and she is an expert on a topic that I think that we could all use some help with. I think it's a topic that doesn't get talked about enough in how to navigate, and that is our friendships. She's been on a couple of times before talking about our regular friendships. And today she has a new book coming out that is all about friendships at work. And I know that this is a little bit of an interesting time with your friendships at work. I know there's some of you who are still going to work in person. I know that there's a lot of you who are working from home. There are some of you who are looking for jobs. There are some of you who are entrepreneurs and you probably still work with a team. Nevertheless, I think that this episode will be helpful for you because we can all use a little help with our relationships, whether they are our personal relationships or our friendships at work. I'm so glad that Shasta is here. She's been on a couple times before. As I mentioned, I'm going to drop those links in the show notes because I do think that it will be helpful if you haven't heard her before to go back and listen to the other episodes. And let me tell you a little bit about her before we jump in. Friendship expert Shasta Nelson is a leading voice on reducing loneliness and maximizing healthy personal and professional relationships. She's a keynote speaker and author. Filled with scientific data, real-world research, and fascinating case studies, Nelson's programs reveal how healthy relationships at work directly impact employee engagement, team culture, sales, recruiting, and retention. She also teaches strategies for the healthiest friendships, contributing to individual happiness and well-being. So without further ado, here is Shasta. Shasta Nelson, you are back on the show for the third time. Oh my goodness. I am so honored. (laughs) (laughs) I saw on social media that you were writing this book and I was so glad because I get questions about this. You know, I had this this problem with my friendship at work and I'm not sure what I should do. Do I take it to HR? What do I say this person? So you wrote a book about this and I am going to ask you first, because your other two books are about friendship. I'm going to drop the link in the show notes for people to listen to those two episodes about friendship because it's so important. What made you decide to write this book? Yeah. Well, it was so interesting, but I, one of the biggest 
excuses people have for why they feel like friendship is hard in their life is they say, I just don't feel like I have the time. And that just comes up over and over and over. It's like between work and then I come home. And we've often thought of friendship as this thing that needs to fit into our quote, uh, the proverbial personal life bucket, where we also have to take care of the kids and work out and do errands and chores and watch TV and be with our spouse. And, and so then friendship kind of becomes one of, you know, a hundred things that we have to fit into this thing. And when you look at all the research, we actually need way more meaningful relationships in our life on a daily basis. And, um, and work, is the closest thing we have to what school was like when we were kids. And so when I was looking and saying, if we don't have time for friendship, let's focus on friendships where we're already spending the most time. And the good news is friendships are good for the workplace too. So I just really started honing in and just saying, let's make a case for not just having friendship only in the personal life bucket. Let's put it in the work life bucket. And, uh, and let's talk about how to do it better and how to do it in a healthy way that benefits us and benefits our organizations and all that good stuff. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense because yes, I've heard that too. And and it's and it's a valid, I don't think it's an excuse. It's a valid reason I think that people aren't having these satisfying friendships is because we're being pulled in so many different directions. For sure. You know, it, it looks a little bit different, I think, for women than it is for men. And I know that this book is f- for both, for men and women. And I want to ask you about men in a little bit. So just kind of saying that out loud yeah, so yeah, I don't forget. Yeah. But I I I want to ask you, like, let's dive into relationships that are at work that are vulnerable because it's, I think it's different. I make up, you know, I haven't worked in an office since 2006, but from what I remember, it can be a little bit awkward. I want to say because you're at work and you're not in your personal life. So can you, can you speak to that a little bit? How do people develop relationships at work that are vulnerable? Yeah. So when we look at, I'll back up even one step back, uh, Andrea and say, so when we measure a healthy relationship, whether it's, uh, whether we're in an office, whether we're at home, whether it's remote, whatever it is, there's three things that we're looking to measure in a relationship. And uh, one is consistency, which the workplace, the work working together brings. That's the regularity. That's the the history that we build, the interactions, kind of just the repetition that we have with each other. And that's what school did for us when we were kids. And then the other two Mm -hmm. things that have to happen, uh, just as a quick reminder for everybody, is vulnerability, which you're speaking to, and positivity. And so positivity is positive emotions. We want to feel more laughter, more enjoyment, more satisfaction, more uh, more acceptance, more empathy, like anything that leaves us feeling better. <laughs> That's what we're aiming for. And then vulnerability is where we're sharing and getting to know each other, where we're feeling seen. And so the goal isn't just to add more vulnerability, but it's to make sure we add more vulnerability that feels good. And the more we do these three things, it's impossible to not bond. Um, that's why we. That's why actually work is the number one place we're still making friends as adults. So whether we think it's appropriate, whether our workplace wants us to or not, whether we're comfortable with it or not, we still are doing it because mm-hmm. we are going to bond with anybody we spend time with and we get to know and it feels good. And the more we do those three things, the more we're going to feel close to somebody. So in a workplace environment, it's really interesting. I did a whole bunch of studies on teams where I measured those three things happening on teams and in relationships at work. And it was super fascinating um, because most managers were most concerned with the vulnerability. They were just like, yeah, I'm not sure we want vulner- vulnerability in our in our team and our relationship. I mean, maybe a little bit. Is it like a liability yeah. or something? I like mean, what makes them nervous? I think, they, I think they pictured like a whole bunch of people talking about their personal lives, you know, around the proverbial water cooler, like crying and having all this drama and like bringing their personal life to the oh door. Oh my you know, gosh. There's a lot of leadership beliefs that like you just check your leader, your personal life at the door, come in and just focus on your work. Yeah. And we don't really 
always believe that you can bring your whole self and, um, and that we, that we want your whole self. So, uh, but what's so interesting is that when I tested all these teams and had them give, uh, this assessment and score them in these three areas, vulnerability is almost always the highest score, which means that we think we're afraid of it, but we're actually doing it fairly well and doing it on our teams. I mean, you think about like brainstorming is an act of vulnerability. Um, Saying, I don't know Mm -hmm. how to do this is an act of vulnerability. Taking a risk and risking failure is an act of vulnerability. Um, Not just having diversity, like a token diversity, but actually saying, We really want to learn from your vantage point and your experience, and we want to be impacted by that. So help, but like that's an act of vulnerability to be changed by the diversity, to let that change us and to um, show up there. Just allowing people to be honest about mental health and about who they are and about you know what how they identify, and all of those are things we crave because we crave being accepted and um, we need to feel accepted all day long, not just in the evenings for the two hours we're Mm -hmm. home. So. Yeah, I don't know that was, that answers your question, but just kind of in a big, big, like just throw it all out there. The vulnerability is definitely one key piece. Right. <laughs> Short answer, yes, <laughs> vulnerability is important. Well, I, I imagine that, it, you know, and you and I are Facebook friends, so I was kind of watching you as you were, as you were, um, writing this book and I, you know, as someone who writes books as well, we tend to need to do research. Like we don't walk in knowing absolutely everything. I guess sometimes we do. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be so general there. But when you were doing your, your research, was there, I mean, was there anything that you found that was surprising about this? Yeah, there's actually, yeah, a lot. And I would say one of the things though, is just how much research there is that having a best friend at work improves not just our employee experience, but our organizational success. And I mean, I knew the research was there. Gallup has been doing um, research for 20 years, uh, asking the question, do I have a best friend at work? That's one of their 12 engagement questions. And they have had so much pushback on that. When I interviewed the chief scientist uh, Gallup for the book, Um, He said, we've had so many companies want us to come in and do the engagement inventory, but they don't want us to ask ask that question. And we've retested it so many times with like, do I have good friends? Do I have a close friend? Do I have friends? And he said, we... This is my first best friend, second best friend. (laughs) He was like, he's like, people are so uncomfortable with the idea of best friends that he said, we like retested it with different ways of doing it. And he goes, we would take that question out except for one stubborn fact it predicts best employee engagement. And um, the science is so there. There was a, there's huge studies that continue to come out. A big one while I was working on the book came out of 110 different countries. They went and looked at all the different things for effect job satisfaction and our relationship with our coworkers outranked every other factor of engagement, not by a ton, but wow. it was, it was, it edged out, you know, like compensation and meaningful in you know contribution at work and like all these other things and i think i think what i surprised me was just how much research there is and yet how it would like we don't really believe it like i don't think our organizations believe it like we just don't we don't train for it we don't act like we believe it we mm-hmm. kind of think well i don't know if it's safe to have a friend at work it could get messy i mean we just i feel like we don't act like we believe it and the research is so compelling Interesting. Interesting. Okay. I want to ask you about coworkers. I hesitate to use the word toxic, but I can't think of a better word right now and the impact that that, that can happen. So a question that, that we get a lot in personal development is somewhere around the lines of, I have this coworker who 
you know, something has happened, whether this person has like spread rumors about them or taken credit for their work, or there's just some kind of drama conflict type of thing. And the people don't know what to do, or they've gone to HR and it hasn't been handled the way they, they want. So I wasn't sure if you wrote about this specifically in the book or oh, yes. what, do you, what do you have to say oh, about yes. that? Oh, yes, I did. It's a, it's okay. a big, big issue. Good, you are right. Needed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have one entire chapter devoted to like how to handle the how to handle that coworker that you feel like, yeah, it drains you and takes the energy out of you. And it does. I mean, seriously, we all have the experience or have heard somebody close to us have the experience of having like that dream job description and then just not liking who we work with can turn that into a horrible, horrible scenario. And we all know the experience of staying somewhere uh, that's like, yeah, take or leave the job description, but we love who we work with. I mean, it comes down to so much mm-hmm. of our uh, our job satisfaction. So yeah, I I teach, I use the triangle of the three requirements of relationship and basically walk people through how to assess that each relationship that feels toxic in their life, uh, whether it's whether it's too much vulnerability, whether it's uh, too much consistency, but not enough positivity. And so basically helping them assess uh, the health of that relationship and then basically walk them through two options. One of how to kind of repair it by bringing up the, the, the requirements that are lacking or repairing those uh, requirements or else figuring out what it looks like to decrease those three things and what it looks like to minimize the impact of that person in your life and how to make it as as healthy but as neutral and as kind of as, as so that it impacts you in the smallest possible way while realizing we still have to work with these people we still have to get along with them we still have to be kind mm-hmm. we still have to show up and be reliable in our in our in our, in our interactions um, so yeah I do I walk everyone through that step by step diagram by diagram because <laughs> it is so hard to do okay yeah good well and I, you know I'm looking through all the 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 points of the book and sort of picking and choosing what I want to talk about here because there's so many different options this could be like a three-hour <laughs> conversation, I'm sure. But you know, and I, I think about my own workplace experience, and I was the type of person who was probably considered annoying by no. some because I wanted to be friends with everyone, <laughs> everyone. Like, please be my friend. And if you don't like me, I'm going to. You know, this is before I started doing my own work on myself. If you don't like me, I'm going to do whatever I yes, can to get you yes. to like me, which might even annoy you more. <laughs> but it brings me to the question of expectations mm-hmm. and you know, kind of hashtag relationship goals at work. So do people like, do we have to be friends with everyone? Because seriously speaking, this can feel awkward for some, I think, especially people who work in smaller teams or smaller offices where you might have a lot in common with someone, but you kind of just don't like them all that much. Like how does someone navigate that? It is tricky. And I would just say the goal is to be friendly to everyone but that's different than building a friendship with a few. So there's a vast difference between um, being kind to people versus versus intentionally developing a relationship with a few people or one person or something. And so the goal, you know, I teach those three requirements on a triangle. The bottom of the triangle is where all relationships start. So when you're brand new on the team, every relationship has low consistency, low vulnerability, and low positivity. They're not expressing that much adoration and love for us yet. So it also starts pretty low. And as we increase our consistency and we get to know each other better, which increases our vulnerability and we feel more accepted and affirmed and seen by each other, our positivity goes up. And so, uh, yeah, I have a whole chapter on relationship expectations and goals where, um, basically I teach five different levels of relationship. And in general, 
you know, if you have a really healthy team, it would be great to have kind of the team function uh, as a level two or level three, you know, halfway up the triangle where we feel safe, where it feels good. Because the goal, remember, is not to have everybody at the top of the triangle. We can't be completely vulnerable, completely consistent, completely expressing our love for everybody. Mm, nobody would get any work done. <laughs> well, we'd be exhausted. I mean, I only want to be vulnerable with two or three people. And I'm like, done. Told the story. I'm out of here. So, um, yeah, I think it's just yeah. recognizing that for the vast majority of our relationships, they're going to be halfway up the triangle and that's okay. And that's, and the healthy thing, as you point out, most like, so I get so many emails of people who have so much, you know, the drama, give me advice on this. And I would mm-hmm. say most drama comes down to a mismatch in expectations versus so expecting, wanting the relationship to have acted like they were friends at the top of the triangle. And uh, yet they probably, when you look at their behaviors and their pattern, they were really only friends halfway up the triangle. And so we, so when we get hurt is when we expect that that person uh, is my best friend, we'll call her my best friend at work or something. And then we get hurt when they don't act like somebody at the top of the triangle, but we look back and say, have I really practiced true vulnerability? Have I showed up and had tough conversations? Have I showed up and told her what I needed? Did I speak up and say what was hurting me and bothering me? You know, no. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, then you're not top of the triangle friends. You're middle of the triangle friends, and that's okay. And that's a really healthy place to be. The important thing is to make sure your expectations of what that person is supposed to be doing for you matches the level of relationship that you've actually built. And so, yeah, most people will be halfway up the triangle. The people who annoy you, who are what you would have, have had a tough, or toxic relationship with, well, hopefully we just keep them at the bottom of the triangle where we can still have a minimum friendliness with them. And maybe there's one or two people at work that we intentionally uh, move up the triangle and they do become a best friend and somebody that we can really confide in mm-hmm. and trust. Got it. Okay. And I love that there are diagrams. And I'm like so diagrams. <laughs> They're easy to understand. Oh my gosh. So quick story about me feeling like I was annoying. At my at my last office job, I turned to one of my coworkers and I said, I asked him, I said, Do you think I'm Ted, do you think I'm annoying? And he was he was the nicest guy. And he kind of like tilted his head sideways and thought about it. And I said, Your pause is telling me the answer. And he goes, No. Um, he called me Fry Daddy because my maiden name was Fry. And he's like, Fry Daddy, I think I, I, I like you. I don't think you're annoying, but I can see how some people would think you're annoying. <laughs> and I'm like, fair enough. I, I don't take that personally. And um, yeah, I'm not for everyone. Well, I'm, I'm curious, you know, you mentioned that you get a lot of emails about work drama and things like that. Do you, do you feel like there's also, and I wonder if it's something you wrote about, that there is a problem with people not knowing how to set boundaries properly at work? Oh. Totally. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, not just at work, but in our personal lives too, right? I mean, yeah, I'm aware of that, but I would love for you to speak to like the lack of boundaries at work. Yeah. I mean, I really, it's really important that we learn how to have conversations, especially, I mean, that's to me, one of the expectations of the closer your friendship is the more you're developing it, the more responsibility you have to talk about it with each other. And I'm always surprised that one of the big ideas is that like, when we have a close friend, that's the person we should be letting off easier doing the favors for or like putting up with stuff. And the truth of the matter is the closer your friendship is, the more it demands honesty and vulnerability. And uh, so I teach mm-hmm. in there that if you want to have a close friendship at work, you have the responsibility to have and I, I have a whole list of questions. But like, I think it's really powerful to do it before we even have the issues, you know, like, where could you, um, yeah. I like what one question is just like, if I had to share something disappointing, if you weren't living, doing something right at work, how would you want me to t- tell you that? Or if I heard something about you, what would be the worst case scenario 
or like, what are we most afraid of when we think about being friends at work? What's your biggest fear? What's my biggest fear? What could we do to help minimize those fears? What could we do to help mm. protect those fears? It sounds like a lot of proactivity. It is. Yeah. And I, instead of reactivity Yeah. And later. we just, and instead we just get our feelings hurt. Like, well, we both want the same job, but neither of us want to talk about it. Like if we'd set up front, what are we going to do if we both have a job we want to apply for? What would we, how would we handle that? How would we want to show up for each other during that? And if we could do those conversations ahead of time, imagine mm. how much more empowered we are to then in those moments have more honest conversations and be sharing our feelings more. And it's so much easier to do it before the feelings are there, you know, and the negativity and the the actual moment. But yeah, boundaries are so important. And especially um, I teach, you know, like there's a you have two relationships here that you're that you're juggling. I think that's what makes it so hard for people is you have your job, your role that you are, you have a relationship mm-hmm. to this organization and then you have this friend and this relationship to this person. And I think sometimes we are fearful of which one would we would put above the other. And we have to draw boundaries to protect both of them. You know, we have to draw boundaries around our confidentiality. Yeah. I can't tell you everything if my job, if I know things about work that aren't appropriate for you to know. And so it is absolutely important for us to have those conversations the same way. I mean, I, it might not be a perfect metaphor, but I think about like a husband and wife or spouses married to each other and they have kids. And I think about, um, they, uh, we understand that there's certain things we do when the kids aren't around and there's certain things we do when the kids are around and we have responsibilities as parents to co-parents in this way. And even if our, if our love life, if our, if this relationship's not going well, we still know that this relationship over here as parents needs to go well and do something. And so we, we do mm-hmm. know how to juggle, uh, you know, responsibilities in different places and in different ways. And I think we just need to, the trick is getting our feelings hurt. If we get our feelings hurt that this person's doing something job related, as opposed to thinking we should be more important. I think that's where so much drama happens. Well, I just want to throw it in the business or the book is called the business of friendship, making the most of the relationships where we spend the most of our time and it drops August, what? August 18, August 18th. And I want to move into something that I think is prevalent at all jobs. I mean, I don't know for sure, but let's talk about gossip. <laughs> yep. It comes up. And yeah, I figured <laughs> how, I mean, I'm just like the floor is yours with, with this topic, but I think more, more specifically, what would be interesting to hear your thoughts around what do people do or say when they are working with someone who tends to indulge in a lot of gossip? Yeah. Yeah. So kind of, um, yeah, I, I talk about this from the angle of like how to protect ourselves from gossip, of course, but then also how to, how to, um, yeah, when we're the, when we're the object of the gossip. And then there's the other factor that you're naming where we, we may not be the, <laughs> the one partaking or the object of it, but we're just around it a lot. And so gossip is a really, mm-hmm. really big issue that comes up a lot. And, and the truth of the matter is, uh, it's not necessary. It's not really a friendship issue. I talk about it a lot, and it comes up as I think it's the number three greatest fear of having friends at work, or it might even be number two. Now I have to go back and look at that. But um, so it's a really, really big one up there. The irony is, is even if we had a workplace where we uh, outlawed friends, we didn't allow friends, you had no friends, it doesn't protect the workplace from gossip, right? So I would actually argue that the more we train for relationships, the more we teach healthy expectations, the more we expect you to have positive relationships with each other, that the gossip would go down um, rather than um, the other way of what we fear. But yeah, I think it's completely appropriate and helpful. And this is all of us learning to show up in life uh, in kind. And yet, uh, and yet authentic, I mean, practicing, practicing these three things, it's the consistency of vulnerability and a positivity to show up and just to say, 
Um, you know, it's helpful, more helpful if we have a specific scenario, but yeah, basically just to say, try to divert, try to di- kind of distract the conversation to something else. And sometimes if we actually just need to say, I don't mm-hmm. actually feel comfortable talking about her while she's not here. Uh, let's try to mm-hmm. just give her the best of assumptions for now and, um, and hope, you know, we would do the same for you. You know, if there was, if anyone was ever talking about you and I think it's just helping, helping create a place where people know that um, we don't want to hear it. And, and we do that in such a kind, loving way. We're not trying to shame anybody, but it's really hope. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. Tricky. And, but it says to them, you can trust me that I'm not going to, you're never going to hear rumors that I'm talking about you either. Like I'm somebody who's not no. a part of this, you know? And, um, but yeah, it is definitely a human nature thing. And whether we're in, whether we're in school or work or, or church or anywhere, it's, this comes up all the time, a human dynamic where yeah. we often view giving information as a way to bond, I think. So right. that's one of the things I try to hold compassion around is just realize that person who's gossiping, that's their way of trying to kind of make a bid for bonding and trying mm-hmm. to just realize a bid for connection. Yeah, exactly. They're just trying to be valuable and they think giving information helps them be that. And so trying to hold compassion and to reassert that's not the case. We like you. <laughs> we like you even more when you're not talking about other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The thing with gossip is that I've realized over the years as I've I've done my best to be very, very conscious of it and pay attention to when it's happening and also when I am the person who's doing it, is that when I quickly realize when I'm doing it, it is because I am trying to fit in, mm-hmm. I'm trying to bond, I'm feeling left out. And, and once you realize not only that you're doing it, but the reasons yes. that you're doing yes. it, it becomes very uncomfortable to continue. Yeah, so true. It feels gross. Yeah. My advice is just to tell on yourself. (laughs) I've done that before and it's extraordinarily uncomfortable. Um, And I can think of this one instance where I I participated in gossip and then circled back with the person and said, like, I realized I said this and it was out of turn for me to say that. And I actually don't even know if that's true, what I shared with you. And I just, I really like you and wanted to be your friend. Like it was, it was really vulnerable moment. And she was like, oh my gosh. She goes, I honestly didn't even think about that. It was a piece of gossip, but I so appreciate you saying that. Yeah. And I'm with you. Let's, yeah. yeah that let's was not. such a great example. Friends. That's a great modeling. Oh, yeah. it was hard. I wanted to throw uh, up. But then that makes that like, friend. As it was coming out of my mouth. <laughs> it makes that friend. I mean, if you said that to me, I would trust you even more. Like, it's not like she didn't even register that you were doing it. So it didn't even lower her, your opinion, her opinion of you. But by coming back and owning it and saying, I don't want to be that person, like, builds mm-hmm. trust in you and makes me as a friend be like, I can trust her. She's like, She's paying attention to herself, you know? She's showing up. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's true. It's like when when I know someone and they're a friend or an acquaintance or whatever, and they're gossiping about somebody else, I immediately don't trust exactly. you. I, I assume that you're doing the same behind my yeah, back. Yeah. And I think it is, you know, whether it's gossip, I'm not somebody who, that's not my tendency, but like more like what you were saying at the beginning, the need to impress people or win people over. I mean, mm-hmm. that could be, that's mm-hmm. similar. When you realize that I'm doing this, to like basically feel loved. And so whether it's giving information and gossiping, whether it's uh, 
you know, trying to go jump through hoops and be the perfect one, trying to be the strong one, like whatever the story each of us has that we're doing. It's so powerful when we can kind of realize we're doing this because we want to feel accepted, because we want to be connected, because we want to feel closer. It's not because we're no, shitty people. Yeah. But then it helps us be like, <laughs> why do I have to go this direction and go through these three hoops to get to connection? I, what can I just do to connect, you know? And then it's like so much more beautiful. I don't need to impress this person. I can just connect with this person. And those very other right. things we're trying to do actually ironically often uh create create exactly the opposite of what we're wanting right 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 well i want to ask about you know people who leave a particular job and they're going into a new one or they've already gone into a new one but i, I want to ask about using your former you know with the birth of social media i mean i have connected with so many people that i used to work with and it's fantastic so how do what's a good way to use your former professional friendships to help you during your job search yeah, it's, it, we find most of our jobs through those networks. So it's super important to stay in touch with those people. And uh, yeah, definitely just letting them know that you're looking for work. And if they hear of anything and you're trying to get, you know, be clear about what you're trying to get into more of or what you would like to be doing more of. So that kind of it's top of mind. Um, and I think those are the people who can vouch for us. Those are the people who can say, I worked with her before. Those are the people who... Um, I can yeah, it's definitely no it's like that's how we exponentially create our network. So we're super smart. We'd be we'd be really limiting ourselves to not reach out to uh, those people, our former colleagues and coworkers and friends from other places because they are magic for us. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I think too, mm-hmm. it's a great um, great way to be able if there's a certain organization that they work at, you know, that you want to be able to say, can you just help make sure that they see my resume? Uh, is a, you know, is a great thing or can I applied there? If you know the person who's uh, that, that manager, you know, just being able to let them know, you know me. I mean, just even those people, we they can't get us the job, but they can often at least get us the interview or make sure that our resume is at least looked at. And, um, you know, and just having the, having a reference goes so far. We all know that. No, none of us want to, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. I want to ask you about, I want to ask you about men because, um, the majority of the listenership here is women, but I know the majority of them love men, <laughs> <laughs> have men in their lives, yeah. maybe not romantically, yeah. but have men in their lives. And I have heard, I have not done any of my own research, but I've, I've kind of seen headlines around and, and seen some articles shared within the last handful of years or so that I think it is it middle-aged men or something. There's like a syndrome or that, that some expert coined about how lonely they are. Yeah. Is this, did you find this when you were researching for the book? Yes, there's a lot of different studies. Um, one of the biggest, yes, I know which one you're referring to. One of the biggest, most recent studies came out showing um, from Cigna that men are a little lonelier than women. Um, yeah, there's certainly enough out there to support that. And I think we, and I, I would argue that that has, we have not done a good job modeling men's friendships, close men's friendships. We haven't encouraged, given permission, said that it's normal. We've often taught men that the only mm-hmm. appropriate place for intimacy is uh, in their in their romantic relationships with other women, as opposed to with each other. And so, absolutely, we have a lot of men who practice. Like, if you look at the triangle, we have a lot of men who. Uh, practice consistency and positivity. So they have social groups. They do they do stuff with regularly and have a good time. But we haven't really encouraged vulnerability among between men. So for sure, there's a loneliness thing there. And between you and me, and a few other <laughs> anyone else listening, mm-hmm. uh, except other people, mm-hmm. my one of my secret, uh, yeah, one of my secret, what's the word like motives. 
for writing this book was uh, writing a book that men would read about friendship. You know, they're not buying books in the relationship section as much as women are, but they are buying books in the business section. And this book teaches how to build healthy relationships. And I wanted it to be a book that men could pick up and read and uh, learn. This isn't a female issue. This isn't a gender issue. This is a human need. And um, they're dying literally from not getting this need met. So if they're craving more connection, this is the guidebook for that. So do you guide them differently? Like I'm talking about like, you know, kind of the, the traditional heterosexual men, do you guide them differently than you would a woman in their friendships at work? No, I don't. It's because of, when we bond, when we look at what bonds us to people, it doesn't matter whether what doesn't matter our sexual orientation or our gender. We these are the three things that bond us to people. What would shift is, for example, consistency. So, well, this goes back to even one step. Quite a lot of people think commonalities bond us, and so we think we need people that we have a lot of things in common with, and that's not true. Um, commonalities are only important if they help us practice these three requirements of relationships. So a commonality as Mm -hmm. both being uh, moms of special needs kids or something bonds us because we now have this vulnerable, we can, this side of us feels more seen. We can be more vulnerable on this subject matter perhaps, but, um, or, or that we both like golf for men or we both like playing poker or whatever, then it helps only if it helps us be more consistent with each other and enjoy each other. And so commonalities in and by themselves don't bond us unless those things help us do the three things. So for men, women, anybody, the question is, how do I, how do I practice these three things that might look different on us, um, what we prefer doing, but at the end of the day, it's the exact same things that bond humans, regardless of our gender. Ah, interesting. And makes so much sense. Yes, makes so much sense. And again, the book is The Business of Friendship, Making the Most of the Relationships Where We Spend the Most of Our Time, August 18th. Shasta Nelson, thank you so much for being here. Did I leave anything out? Is there anything that you feel like you need to say before we close up? No, you did such a great job. I love talking about this. Thank you so much for having me on. (laughs) And maybe I'll just end by just reminding us all that this is This is to the benefit of our organizations, but it's to our benefit. I mean, when you look at every happiness study, uh, one of the big studies that I'll just end with is on happiness. And we often say it's hard to quantify what makes us happy. They're saying that 70%, when you look at all the studies on happiness out there and you pull them all together, 70% of our happiness comes down to our relationships. And it is virtually impossible to feel connected and fulfilled and happy if you don't have meaningful relationships at work, where you're spending so much time there that if you're coming home drained or not feeling seen or not getting the socialization that you crave, it's almost impossible to make that up in your off hours. So really for your own happiness and your health, I mean, it's just, uh, it's the most important thing you can do. Absolutely. I am so glad that you write books on this. Thank you so much for your time and your expertise. And everyone listening, thank you so much for being here with me. You know how grateful I am that you choose to spend your time with me and my guests. And until next time, everybody, I'll see you all out in cyberspace. Bye-bye.